Okay, friends, we are in week three of our series about being free from sin. And just in case maybe you've missed the first couple of them and you feel like you're coming into the middle of the movie, don't worry about it. You can totally catch up if you go to sgbic.com and you can watch the first two um, the first two messages in this series. Uh, but what we're doing is exploring some some passages of scripture that have been for a long time and for a lot of Christians today and just a complete mystery of how do we experience freedom from sin and uh, if you if you read the Bible it's you know divided into two major parts the Old Testament which is really old and then what Christians call the New Testament which is what well, it's old too, but the New Testament is split up into three major sections. There's the, the four accounts of Jesus's life called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then there's the book of Acts, which is really a continuation of the book of Luke. And it talks about what the first followers of Jesus did after he was resurrected and the beginnings of the early church. And then we come to these letters that are traditionally called epistles. And they're, they're letters written to pockets of Christians spread all throughout the Roman Empire. And they're primarily the work of the Apostle Paul, who started most of these, these small gatherings of Christians. You know, the, some of the first disciples decided they were going to stay in Jerusalem. And Paul said, you guys go ahead and do that. I'm going to go out to every every tribe tongue and nation that i can that, that will listen to me and i'm going to tell them the the good news of jesus christ and as he is dictating these letters he'll hear about uh, a situation in a church far far away and he'll he would write a letter to to these christians to to help them um, understand how to walk out the uh, how to walk out the christian life and he talked a lot about this power of sin, not just a behavior, but he talks about it like an entity. And he used language to describe the significance of what Christ did right alongside the, the practical information of how we're to live that out, what, what it meant to, to, to actually live and follow the way of Jesus in, in very practical terms. And as, as you, if you open your Bible and, and you come to one of these letters, uh, you'll, you'll, you can run into these terms. And for a lot of us that grew up in the church, uh, we hear these terms and we think, oh, yeah, 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 I got it. But for the past few weeks, we've been, we've been really slowing down and saying like, no, maybe we don't got it. Maybe, maybe there's something here for us and exploring the significance of these terms so they can move from just things that we know down into our hearts to, to become a reality that we experience. Terms like Jesus died for us. Jesus forgave us of our sin. Jesus paid the price for our sin. And in these letters, which those terms, they, they appear all throughout all of these different letters. Usually in one of these letters, the first half of the letter is, is very theological in, nation, in, in nature. And we come across these terms of, 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 of Jesus dying for our sin, but also terms like 
through Christ or in Christ. And a lot of times people, because they were written for an occasion and they were written so long ago, we kind of skip that that first part or just kind of skim it. Like, don't lie, I know you did that in college. Like, uh, kind of treating it like a college paper. Okay, skip through this and, and give me the, the, the part uh, that I can do. And in the second half of these letters, it's incredibly practical. I mean, there's all kinds of, of advice. Uh, there's stuff in there for husbands, how they're supposed to treat their wives. There's things in there for wives, how they're supposed to treat their husbands. And for parents, there's even, there's even an obey your parents in there, which parents absolutely love. Uh, but there are some phrases uh, uh, and chapters that take on the significance of Christ's death and it takes it much further. And that's that's where we're going to land today and exploring these, uh, further exploring these terms of through him and, and terms like Christ and me. Um, because uh, if we don't understand those terms and we just try to do the practical parts, I mean, we can get, especially some of us that have been trying to follow Jesus for a long time, we can get great at these practical parts and we can put them into practice for two hours, maybe two days, maybe two weeks. And then we run into the end, we run to the end of our strength, the end of our willpower, the end of our ability to, to behave well, and then we just blow it. We can, if we're doing this on our own power and trying to live out these practical parts on our own strength, willpower is a finite resource and and we wind up sinning we wind up falling off the wagon we wind up in the ditch again and uh, then uh, if if we if we're going along we, we we come to the end of our day and and pray and ask God to forgive us for all of the all of the ways that we've blown it for the wrong things that we've done and then the right things that we should have done and we say, God, please forgive me of my sin. And God does forgive us of our sins. And we wake up the next morning with an empty bucket. You know, we've emptied out all of our sins. We, we've got this fresh, clean slate. God's mercies are new every morning. That's absolutely true. And we go out to our job and we go out into the world and we fill that sin bucket up again. And we empty it out the same the next night and we, we go out the next day and empty it up again. And as Paul's writing this letter to Christians, specifically in the city of Rome, he talks about the significance of Christ's death as it, as it points to our struggle with sin, where, where we get in this habit of, oh, I'm emptying out my bucket and then I fill it back up again. I empty out my sin bucket and I fill it up again. And to summarize him, uh, Paul, I think he would say, Yes, it's true. Sin doesn't control where you go when you die. But sin doesn't have to control you while you live. You don't have to stay in that same cycle of emptying out the sin bucket and filling it back up again. Emptying it out and filling it up again. And the starting place is, is having a new grid to look at life through. And realizing like we don't have to struggle and we don't have to give in to the power of sin. It's, it, it's not our reality. We can view things through a new lens. And Paul would say it like this. You are not the person that you used to be. Like you are a completely different person. So why on earth would we continue to live the way we used to live? And if you're like me, 
You say, well, that's easy. I can show you. Live life on autopilot. I mean, sometimes things come out of my mouth that hurt people and I didn't even know <laughs> that was there. But uh, a lot of us, we've tried to work on these things that we say, that we think, that we do. We know they're not right. We know they're not good for us. We know they're not good for the people around us. And sometimes when we, we work on those things, we're starting in the wrong place. We think those behaviors are the problem. And if you've ever tried to fix a problem when you don't really know what the problem actually is, you know it's completely frustrating. It's, it, it's deflating. It, it can destroy your, your sense of hope, your sense of wonder. And Paul speaks directly to that. His explanation of the problem um, is, is found in Romans 7. I'm going to read you again. We've, we've gone through this a couple weeks, but just a reminder of what Paul says the problem is. And then for the rest of our time together, we'll go through uh, what Paul says the solution is. So uh, if you have a Bible, uh, please navigate to Romans chapter 7, verse 15. Uh, however you get there, whether you're turning, uh, we'll also have the scriptures on the screen for you as well. So Romans chapter 7, verse 15. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So in week one, we looked at, at Paul's explanation of where this battle comes from, and he argues that sin entered the world through Adam, that Adam was a real person, the first human being, and that Adam's rebellion, his, his grasping, instead of eating from the tree of life, he grasped from the tree and ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which represents independence, striving, hustling for worth and value. Um, and, and because of that, the, the whole creation was, was warped. And because we had come from that line, we were uh, the, the letter and the Bible talks about it in terms of us being born in Adam, in the container of Adam. We were legally in Adam is another way to think of it. And that sin was passed on to us like it's a disease. And, and Paul, again, talks about this power uh, of sin like it's an entity and it's a power that we were surrounded in us. Like I think every mama on the planet, no matter what culture they've come from it, uh, or where they live, uh, they have always said to their kids, what's gotten into you? But the truth is that thing, it's been, it's, we're born into it and it's been there the whole time. Remember, maybe for some of you, it's your, it was your first spring break or your first business trip or your first international trip or that time in Las Vegas and you realized what happens in Vegas doesn't always stay in Vegas. Or maybe it was your freshman year in college and, and you come back from these experiences where you've blown it and you think, What's got, what got into me? Well, it's not what got into you. It's what you were born into. The power of sin. That's Paul's explanation for this. And Paul would say, like, that, that we are all born 
bad people. Like it's, you know, of course, sometimes bad people would do good things because sometimes it's in our own best interest to do good things. But Paul says, when we surrender our life to Christ, we become a new person. We become a good person. So, and it doesn't make any logical sense that a good person would do bad things. And Paul's going slowly here, trying to explain step by step what this new identity looks like. So last week, we looked at Romans chapter 6. And Paul says, guys, you may not know this, but the power of sin has been broken. Like, it's not even a thing anymore. And it's not because we take sin lightly when we follow Jesus, like that we get excited about this. It's we take what scriptures say and what Jesus says about sin. We take that incredibly, like it's so serious. And Paul says, guys, guys, in this struggle, you may not know this, but the power of sin has been broken. And he explains that, that because that power of sin has been broken by Jesus, and when we surrender our life to Jesus, we're taken out of Adam and placed and dipped into, we're placed in Christ. So like before, what was true of Adam, that was totally true of you, totally true of me. Uh, and we, we bore the consequence. We were, we were on the hook for everything that Adam did and everything we had done. But when we say yes to Jesus and surrender our life, what's true of Jesus is true of you. That is such good news. And that's the starting place before we ever get to, how do I stop this hurtful habit? How do I control the, the, the stuff that comes out of my mouth? The starting place is, What's true of you now, when you surrender your life to Jesus, when God looks at you, he doesn't see all of, all of the junk that we've done, all of the, the cruddy things that we do and think and say. He looks at us and because we're in Christ, God sees what Christ has done. And that is what's true of you. And we talked about, I don't want you to forget about this. We talked about this in terms of an international adoption that with this legal transaction, what was true of this child, uh, of, of, of what was due to them, their identity, who was in control of their life, who, who ran their schedule, changes. And, and all of a sudden, the orphanage isn't in charge of them or that country, or that, those, those entities. And when a child is adopted, what becomes true of them is what's true of their new family, what, what's true of the new place where they're moving. And that's, that's what's true of the family is true of that child. That's like you and I, when we say yes to Jesus, there's a new authority over our lives. And we concluded last week and it, 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 it even felt like a little, it feels a little creepy to say sin is not my master because it's heavy, but it's absolutely true. We concluded by practicing that sin is not my master. And our challenge was that before we sin or when we felt like that, that tug, uh, I always picture it like Looney Tunes. When you feel like one good angel on this shoulder and one bad, like I should, I shouldn't go there. I shouldn't turn the TV on. I'm alone. Oh, I, you know, I shouldn't walk over there to that person in the office. I know how he makes me feel like just before that moment, say sin is not my master. I am dead to sin. 
but alive to God. And that brings us to where we are today. If we are in fact dead to sin, meaning sin is not our master, how do we live that out? Like, what difference does that make for you and I today? Because living, living as a slave to sin, at first it took no initiative on our part. You never had to teach a, a two-year-old how to be selfish. It just They do that automatically. Uh, we don't need a sermon to figure that part out. What we do need some help with is, is finding out what does it look like to live without sin as our master. Master over our mouths, our eyes, our minds, our hearts, the things that we want. Um, sin is no longer the master of our insecurities, uh, no, no longer the master of our appetites for, for stuff. So uh, this week we're really answering the question as, of like, okay, sin's no longer our master, so what? And a second question, now what? So Romans 6 helps us with that. And I want to give you three words. If, if In case I lose you here in the next couple of minutes, I want to give you the outline right up front for those of you, and I love you note takers. If you're taking notes, I want to give you the three words that will, will shape our, our conversation today. And, and then we'll, uh, we'll find these three ideas in the text. So the three words are declare, decide, and devote. 3D. Pretty cool, right? You see what I did? I, preachers always do that. So let's say it with me. Declare, decide, and devote. So now let's see where these words are uh, in, in Romans chapter 6. And the first word is declare. Jesus' resurrection demonstrated his power over sin. In verse 9, it picks up here. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So this means Jesus, like his resurrection demonstrated his power over the consequences and thus over the power of sin. So not only did his resurrection remove the consequence for anyone else that comes that is this placed in him, but now sin uh, can't even touch that. Uh, any of us that are placed inside of him. Another way to say it, I love saying it like this: sin can't get to us unless it comes through Jesus first, or we let it come in. Like we have a choice in this. So now he gives us the first of our action steps. Here's what we've got to do with this. In verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That word count, it's a mathematical term to calculate, to conclude, to believe. Like, we're, we're like what a vivid, visceral picture. When sin comes to us trying to tempt us, we're not that person anymore. We're, that part of us is dead. So it's like trying to tempt, this power of sin is trying to tempt a corpse, smelly, rotting, nasty corpse. To live free from sin, we need to think about that and start there and conclude that Christ, that in Christ, you died to sin's power and to declare yourself dead. When maybe you're watching this and you have a problem with the word sin, 
So you can use temptation too. But when, when sin comes to us to, to tempt us, we can declare, I'm dead to sin. That part of me has died. And declare, sin has no power over me. In verse 12, it says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Let. Like that's a, that's a big word. We do have a choice in this. We do have a choice in, in whether we go along with it or, or, or whether we resist and run to something bigger than us to help us resist this. And Paul found it, it very helpful to separate himself from the sin. So once again, he personifies sin, it's evil desires. And when he's separating himself from sin, um, and I think this is really helpful as well, because as long as sin is an it, I can deal with it. When it becomes me, I'm absolutely toast. I mean, so many of us have that negative audiophile that plays in our mind over and over again. I'm so awful. I'm so dirty. I'm so happy. Why am I so hateful? Why am I always so jealous? So let's do what Paul does. Say like, okay, this is a power that's outside of us. It's not like us that's the problem. Sin is the problem. Now you and I are in Christ and we don't have to cooperate with those thoughts anymore. So about that, when you have that dialogue inside your heart or inside your head, like you're wrestling with this, which side of the argument do you identify with? Do you argue like as someone who is still in Adam? And what that sounds like is, oh, here I go again. I can't help it. Okay, I've got needs. Oh, the force runs strong in my family. I'm a man or I'm a, I'm a high school senior. I'm a college freshman or, oh, no one understands. Uh, this just the way that I was raised. Um, nobody's, nobody's perfect. Uh, my mother raised me this way or my grandmother did this. Like that's what it sounds like to argue from the perspective of someone in Adam and making excuses or we can argue from the side of in Christ because temptations will come. That's not a sin. Uh, bad thoughts, negative thoughts, those do come. Or do you, do you realize who you really are and argue from the side of Christ? Sin is not my master. We have an opportunity to make a decision. We can say no. And the only way, again, the only way sin can get to us is through Jesus. So when you're in that moment, it's huge. Before we even get to rewiring our brains and, and, and all the other stuff, like let's choose which side we're going to identify with. In verse 12, Paul says, therefore do not let. And that brings us to our second word, decide not to let sin rule you. And you may mess up, you may fall off, but like the real way that we lose in this battle is that if we quit, like you may say, I've tried this, I've tried this a million times. Like don't give up. Start from the right place. Say, I am in Christ now. And, and through Jesus, he's gonna help, Jesus is gonna help me 
say say yes to the right things and say no to the wrong things. And there is help available, but we do have a choice. And start by reminding ourselves, like, I am not going to cooperate with sin. Paul says here in verse 13, do not offer any part of your body to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Literally, any of your physical body parts. And, and don't offer them up. Like offer as in, here, do you want some? Like, I'm not going to offer my eyes. You don't have to offer your hands, your fingers, your thumbs uh, to sin. Don't say, hey, do you want some of this? Like we, we don't yield our body parts as instruments of unrighteousness, but of righteousness, any part, because you're free. Sin is not your master, no matter what. Paul says to devote your body to God. You know, in, in my routine waking up, I need a daily reminder of this. And as I'm getting ready, I'm, I'm praying uh, out loud sometimes or in my heart, as I'm brushing my teeth, God, I am offering my mouth to you today because with your help, I can, I can use this mouth to build people up and to build things up. Or on its own, if I agree with sin, I can be really skilled at tearing things down, tearing people down, hurting people. God, I give you my hands today. God, these hands, I want to use them for right living to build things. God, I give you my heart, even the desires of my heart. And I go through just my, my, my physical body. God, I give you my feet. I may be tempted today. Sin may try to get me to go back towards death. And, and I'm giving, I'm devoting these feet to you that they will only take me to where you want to go. So maybe that can be part of your routine. Because uh, Romans 6.13 says, Rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Don't yield your body parts as instruments as unrighteousness. Don't make your, any part of your body available to sin. Your mouth, your eyes, your mind, but devote them to God. So that's one of our challenges today. God, today I offer you my hands, my feet, my eyes, my ears, and my mind to you. So declare, decide, and devote and say, sin is not my master. I'm not going to let it rule over me. God, I give my body to you. You know, just before my junior year in college, I actually felt called to the ministry. Like that's how we, that's how we talked about it in the tradition that I came from. I had this experience with God and I felt like, oh, I really feel this nudge inside of my heart that that God wants me to, to enter into, to, to be a pastor and enter into training for that. But there was a, a problem. I was a horrible Christian. <laughs> like, I tried. I knew, I, I identify with Paul's uh, struggle when he was a religious person, especially without God's spirit helping. He, he couldn't do what he knew he should do. I was in the same way. I was like, God, I should be better at this. I should be better at saying no to sin. I love the counseling term. 
I was shooting all over myself. I prayed, I fasted. I had more accountability partners than I could even count. Bro, you gotta keep me accountable. I don't wanna do this stuff anymore. I was so inconsistent. And I knew that signing up for a life of, of, of being a Christian, really uh, a pastor, like that people would be watching me. And there was a tension inside of me. I remember uh, at my school, in the middle of our campus at Oral Roberts University, we had um, this building called a prayer tower. And there was prayer in there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I remember going, uh, signing out of my dorm one night and going to the prayer tower to pray. And I remember saying, God, I'm not getting up from this place until you change me. I need help with this. And I knelt down on this kind of um, place where you could kneel down and pray. And I was like, God, I'm not getting up until you change me. And then my friend shook me at like five in the morning. I fell asleep and I was still completely the same person. Um, but I had this struggle of Paul. And then uh, at the church that I went to, my pastor started preaching from this, uh, this letter that Paul wrote called Colossians. And chapter three, verse two, um, he started going through this and explaining this. In verse two, it says, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. And I was like, exactly, Pastor Ed, or the Apostle Paul, I'm trying to do that. And the, the tension began to build again, like I'm such a bad Christian, I'm an average college student, I'm doing things that I don't wanna do. And he continued on in verse three, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, in that line there, when Christ, who is our life, the dots started to connect from me. And I realized like I can try to imitate Jesus, but that, that will only take me so far. Like <laughs> I only have so much willpower. I can't, I can't live the Christian life. The only one who can live the Christian life is Christ. And I realized, wait, I'm in Christ. I need to learn how to allow Christ to live his life through me. And I started remembering verses that I had learned in Sunday school as a kid that where Jesus talks about, I am the vine and you are the branches. And so like, of course, when I disconnect with Jesus, I'm gonna dry up and I'm gonna be brittle, easily broken. And when sin comes knocking at my door, I started realizing, oh, I can't, I will, I will fail if I try to resist this every single time. My, my response to sin isn't trying to get tougher, trying to, to, to learn a new hack, trying to listen to one more sermon or have the right person pray for me so I'll be immune to sin. My response is, is to run away and to run to Jesus and to connect to Jesus and, and to say, when sin comes knocking at my door, I'm sorry. Mike doesn't belong to you anymore. I'm in Christ. Not because Mike is more disciplined, or, but it's because Christ's life dwells in me. When you surrender to Jesus, Christ's life dwells in you and it's all around you. So every day, every morning, declare that sin is not your master. 
decide not to let sin rule over you and devote the members, even of your physical body, as an instrument of right living and right doing. Now, you may be wondering, like, why haven't I heard about this part before? And what about, like, Mike, what about the Ten Commandments and all the Bible where it talks about all these things that we're supposed to do and all, oh my goodness, especially if you read through Leviticus, all those things that we're not supposed to do. Well, don't miss next week because in the verse where we left off in Romans chapter 6, Paul says one of the most profound things in the entire New Testament and understanding this will help put the entire New Testament together for us. In in, uh, chapter 6, verse 14, he says, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. And we're going to talk about that oh-so-important relationship between law and grace next week. So don't miss it. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, at this starting point, God, help us to just focus um, on, on the fact that we are in you. Uh, and and for those of us this morning, or, or whenever we're gathered together, um, thinking about the Apostle Paul's words, God, when, when those voices come, God, I pray that we will just throw our hands up, turn away from it, and run to you. When the voices come, uh, telling us that, that we're dirty, telling us that we, we've, we're, we'll never see any movement in this area, will you please... Be the loudest voice in our heads. Will you please bring healing to everyone under the sound of my voice and remind them that sin is no longer their master and that you, God, in this moment, will you please remind them of the truth? Will you open their ears and help them to listen to your voice? And may your voice be the loudest in their head. In Jesus' mighty and strong and powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm so glad that you spent part of your week with us, and I hope today was encouraging for you. Uh, as you were listening uh, today and, and, and taking this stuff in, if you have any questions about what we talked about, or maybe you, you were hearing about being taken out of Adam and being put in Christ, and, you're, and that's something that, that you want to find out more about. Or maybe you're at that place where, where you realize you've come to the end of yourself and you are ready to surrender your life to Jesus. Please reach out to us at sgbic.com. We, it's our honor to, to walk you through that and we will get back to you. And, and as always, if you have a prayer request, you can reach us at sgbic.com as well. So um, uh, until we meet again next week, uh, I want to say a benediction over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you and remind you that you are no longer a slave to sin. May you experience new levels of freedom in Jesus Christ. And may you sense God's presence all around you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.